save your life? That's a question that we will be asking ourselves on this episode. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week, we are continuing our look into albums released in 1997 with Corey's pick, OK Computer by Radiohead, one of the most acclaimed albums of all time. Oh my goodness. Uh, Yeah, just... (laughs) Pretty overwhelming acclaim, but a lot of people actually think it's the best album ever. Yeah, I read that. It was mind-blowing, you know? It, it, yeah. it was mind-blowing. And so, impossible expectations to meet, but we're going right. to try. <laughs> That's uh, really all I can say about that for now. Actually, I kind of want to hear from you. So you said that this was a favorite of your high school years, and that mm-hmm. was why you picked it? It was. It was. It was a new sound and it was a new listen but it had this like back then it definitely wasn't what you expected when day one you picked up the new Radiohead album in fact we go back to last week when we came off and you were like I'll try not to be a creep about it and for the I'll go ahead and go as far as to say about 95% of people if you said Radiohead that's what they're gonna say especially back then I mean shit it, it was a Creep was a staple, or that their whole sound at that point was a staple for me playing music with other people, learning music, learning uh, bass, guitar, different instruments. They always were a great band, but this one, going back to where I was coming from, day one, you aren't expecting this. You pop, I popped this in and was like, holy shit. But I love and always have loved, like, it's always still Radiohead throughout this. And it's something that I'll touch on as we go through the album, but they all they kept it Radiohead. Looking back at it, it was crucial for them and for the, this to be successful. The critical acclaim, I never knew it was that high until I went in uh, you know, to do research for this week, but you could immediately tell that it was loved. If, if you can feel what I'm saying, you could immediately tell that it was accepted and th- this is the the real point of, of where I'm going here is it was weird to see it accepted and wholly accepted because it sounded immediately so much like a Floyd or like a, it was just a sonic fucking experiment really um, for them. And it was weird to see people be like, yeah, I love it. They're like, what? What are you talking about? You know, I, I hope you, you feel where I'm going there. It was weird to see other listeners, we go back to the clicky listening styles that I remember of the 90s. And this one was one of those ones that went across the board. And I'll say it again, it was weird to see so many people take to it. Okay. (laughs) You know? Uh, Yeah, this was not an album I've heard. The only song I knew was Creep. And it's not a song I've ever thought much of. It's one of those things where it's fine. I won't change the station if it's on. But am I going to go out of my way to listen to it? No, it's always been one of those songs for me. Yeah. And I heard that this album was very acclaimed. I know my brother said this was a great album, but I'm always a bit skeptical at this point of anything that's this acclaimed because we have this impossible expectation. There's people calling this the best album ever. And it's like... That's just such a high mark. And at this point, we've heard so many albums. I know I have. It's like, but I have such set favorites. How great can it be? Like, and so I just have always kind of been skeptical of anything considered that great. I always am. And I've been disappointed multiple times when listening to albums that are considered greatest of all time. There have been times I felt really let down and thought, no, this, I don't see it. This wasn't it for me especially in a retrospective aspect like we're doing now you know where you're reading that and then going into it you're totally right such a high bar yeah so as much as I can I listen to this without any of those preconceived notions good for you I I did my best I listened to the album five times heard that nice this is definitely I mean we're not doing any spoilers here this is definitely an album that I've already started to talk about it where first listen through, I'll use the word, it's almost unapproachable to, or I would think that it would almost be unapproachable to a lot of just first time listeners or just casual listeners. And I I don't think that, I think 
it being heralded so far up there. I've read something like not since, oh man, I'm paraphrasing this quote, but it was like not since Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts had we seen such like a, a widespread uh, critical acclaim. It, that took me back. I really didn't expect that from this album. Yeah. And uh, I dug uh, it on like an angsty, uh, not to do the whole fub, you know, like angsty teenager, but like I dug it, I dug it on that teenager vibe. I dug it on, it really felt like what we were feeling then. And now looking and getting to read a lot of the inspiration. And this is one of, I love when this happens, but this is one of the albums where I found so much that the band was actually saying about the writing process throughout it and yes. what they were inspired by and whatnot. So this time on a critical listen, that was a super aid, a neat, a neat uh, partner, so to speak, going through the listening process on this one. Yes, I looked that up after I listened for the first time. I decided to do that. And uh, they have some good ideas. I'll give them that. Yeah. But all right, I'm going to preface it now. Yep. There will be times during this episode a listener might think, you're not getting the point. You're not getting what they're going for. I get what they're going for. I read uh, two books on this band during research for this. I know what they're going for. That doesn't mean I like it. That's all I'm going to say right now. I feel you there. I think this is also, and I didn't pick it for this reason, but in hindsight, I think it's a really awesome um, pick for the 97 because again, we're going at your birth year. So it's it's super viable and super, I think that's a, a very easy statement for you to say, or for me to hear you say, because you were in a totally different position uh, and you didn't necessarily feel the, the political slash society mindset then. We go back to, uh, if anyone has been with us for a while, we go back to almost where you were on Cobain and the new perspective I got to see because it was a different mindset or, or this Generation X vibe that you didn't get to feel because you were a, an, an infant uh, yeah. <laughs> at the release of this, this album. I was, I'm like, it depends on the definition, millennial, Gen Z, what you say I am. I feel kind of stuck in between the two and I'm not the only one who feels that way. So, uh, heard that. Heard uh, that. but you are correct about this. There is some of my feelings that I had about Cobain I had here, but, uh, not all the same. Um, and uh, yeah, this album's very highly acclaimed, as we said, and it was fairly successful. It's gone platinum in the US. It had multiple hits in their homeland of the UK. And uh, it gave the band this title of being an important band, which is a lot. Yeah, and, and this one made Library of Congress, which was pretty cool, I saw. Yeah. Yes, it did. But uh, one quote I really want to mention, I read the 33 and a third volume on this book. Sure. And the author of that referred to the band's lead singer, Tom York, as an idea-led word producer more than a songwriter. And I think that kind of sums up my feeling here, because I like a songwriter. I feel like I've made that quite clear here. And uh, I didn't always like what he had to say, but Mr. Cobain was certainly a songwriter. I'm not going to take that from him. And uh, I get, I agree with what he's saying. And uh, again, it's the teenage angsty thing. And I didn't even like the stuff that was teenage angsty for my generation. Admittedly, mine was a very different sound than this. But it, it's just not for me. And... Uh, I mean, I don't really have much more to say other than, like, let's just get into it, I guess, unless you have something to add. Well, do me a favor. What, that quote, one more time, of, of who he was, a, a word-driven producer. An idea-led word producer. Word producer. Pin that. Pin that quote right to yourself, and we're definitely going to hit that throughout this, uh, because I think that's something whether you enjoy that or not, I think that's a very perfectly put way uh, to describe his writing or his 
his songs. I would agree. I think that just kind of summed the nail. And you can like it or not. Dude. I've already hinted that it's not for me, and we'll get into why. Um, yeah. Uh, with that being said, I'm kind of just ready to dive on into this bad boy. Honestly, let's get at it. Let's get at it. Get at it. Get it over with. Whatever you want to say. <laughs> let's do it. All right. So the album begins with a song called Airbag. I referenced it in the title. It comes from a line in the song, I'm surprised that I survived and Airbag saved my life. Uh, um, this is one of the more upbeat songs on the album. I think the guitar on it's great. It's very driving. It's pretty cool drum sample used again and again. Uh, it. Tom York said it was about the idea that whenever you go out on the road, you could be killed, which I actually saw one article about this that said Tom York, if he could give advice to his younger self, he would say lighten up. Heard. And uh, I agree. I mean, it's like you kind of have a point that, whoa, that's very bleak. Very bleak. And I don't know if they touched on it in the books you read, but this was a huge thing for him. Uh, I will go as far as to say a phobia for him was mass transit and and how easily you could be killed throughout it. I mean, that that was his reality, I guess. It's not one I can relate to. Heard. Um, yeah, but this is one of the better songs here, I think. And uh, uh, I think the music's a pretty good contrast with the singer's voice, which... Um, kind of droning in my opinion actually very droning so yeah. there's that uh what do you think of this song i just touch it on the droning he does he hangs and it, it has a uh a droning quality to it um so as far as airbag and and the introduction to this album or being the introduction to this album i'm going to use one of my favorite words that you use a lot and that is this juxtaposition so this is an introduction to a very in my opinion beautiful juxtaposition um i found a quote by uh, tim footman and he talks about quote unquote the key paradox of this album um, but the quote is the musicians and producer are delighting in the sonic possibilities of modern technology while the singer is railing against its social, moral, and psychological impact. It's a contradiction mirrored in the culture clash of the music with the real guitars negotiating an uneasy standoff with the hacked up processed drums. This whole entire album, for me, sits inside of this contradiction. And I think this is a perfect way to start the, the explanation. A lot of people called this a concept, and the band themselves said, no, it's not a concept, but we meticulously ordered it. And it, it definitely has a constant theme throughout. It's eerie, man. We go, I go into the music right off the, the bat. It's an, a beautiful, eerie introduction to this album. It's definitely not, as a listener back in 97, it's definitely not what you expect. I go back to that again and again and again from Radiohead, but I, I enjoyed it as far as first listen. Over and over again, I enjoy it. It actually uh, took a much lighter tone throughout listening to it over and over again than it did for the original, but it's it's a cool, cool introduction to this album. All righty. And uh, yeah, what an intro it is. And it gets us into our second song, which is over six minutes long. It's called Paranoid Android, probably the most well-known song on the album. It was actually the first single, but it really doesn't have a pop song structure at all. It was particularly influenced by the songs Happiness is a Warm Gun by the Beatles and Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, just based on its length and the fact that it has multiple parts. Um, I do like the structure of this song. I do think it's a very unique way to do it. I mean... I can definitely see where they're taking from Bohemian Rhapsody on that. I understand that the title is a reference to a character, Marvin the Paranoid Android from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Heard of it, never read it. And um, 
It was inspired by Tom York seeing a woman at a bar react violently to someone spilling a drink on her, which is an interesting way. I can hear it in the song's lyrics. Um, my favorite part of it is the outro and not because the song's over. I just think it's really very heavy and well done. Yeah, composition throughout this is one that I've always enjoyed and that I always loved. Uh, the the four pieces together here. I, I always enjoyed it. It was wild because I try to think back and I tried to find, I can't remember if they used to play this in its entirety on the radio. I do remember hearing it back in the day. Of course, it was the single, uh, the first single, but I don't remember if it was played in its entirety um, on the radio. That being said, the start of this song is for me a really cool piece because it that acoustic guitar um ends up here speaking to me as a human tone while the rest of everything around it including like the cut up percussion to the synth and ultimately like the computer voice that's hidden in there um they're all technology based so it's this human and we're going back to juxtaposition we're going back to this contrast throughout this album but it's this human versus technology contrast in the music that that i love and that i love as as the first piece of this um you know and then we all get we get that angry rift that boom do do we know boom 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 now which is a constant it constantly keeps coming up throughout this this thought process throughout this song um and i, I love that especially when it first rears its head around the two minute and we're in what i think is the most uh cut and dry piece of the narrative looking onto that bar scene where he's talking about like the gucci pig um you know it, knowing now that that's what he was writing it to uh but you hear that that angsty i love that riff i could sing it a million <laughs> times <laughs> over uh and, and you know you get you get a really distorted guitar screaming and then for me it almost mimics like that analyzing sound of a computer like that beep, 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 until at 3 30 we get that break into this slow sad feeling uh, and, and then we start to call back to the other parts. Uh, again, composition, I really have always enjoyed this, but it's, it's one that that just gets better every time I listen to it. I, I love the ending, like you said, that fed up rant where he's just, you know, really screaming it out there. And then you finish with, I go back to that analyzation, that beep, 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 beep uh, type of sound, but it finishes up still pretty angry. I love that. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And uh, this was a big hit in the UK, actually. It reached number three, and uh, the record label was all behind this being the lead single. Even though it's so uncommercial, they said, yeah, this is it. And I think that's pretty cool that the record label really supported the band on this, because record labels are not always behind their artists wanting to take risks. It's And, and it's the complete epitome of of that feeling i had back then and and still to this day blows my mind of like everybody was behind this like even that like a record label being like oh yeah 630 or 632 or whatever it is yeah let's make that the single on this album it, it's mind-blowing yeah it's just so anti-record label but i love that they did it uh <laughs> we have another sci-fi reference in the title of the next song track number three Subterranean Homesick Alien, a Bob Dylan reference in the title to Subterranean Homesick Blues. Um, it's about a guy who fantasizes about being abducted by aliens because he's bored, I guess, is kind of what I got from it. It was based on an assignment that Tom York got to write something called Martian Poetry. And the keyboards here were an attempt to emulate the album Bitches Brew by Miles Davis, which I've never heard. Maybe I should get on that. I don't know. Um, That's a wild one, Charlie. You're talking about like, I think it's seven total 25 minute tracks. Yeah. I mean, it's really an awesome listen, but it's, it's definitely it. a work. <laughs> um. So as for me, I don't see how anybody over the age of 16 could relate to this song. I feel like I'm listening to... Tom York sing words out of a young man's journal or diary. And uh, 
It's not for me. Um, I will give Tom York credit. He does sing with a bit more passion here. But I find it very interesting that there's a Bob Dylan reference here because Bob Dylan is one of our great songwriters. No one's going to dispute that. He doesn't have a great singing voice. However, his lyrics are so strong that it sticks out at you and he writes such strong melodies that it can overcome it a bit. It can overcome his vocal shortcomings a good amount of the time, not all of the time, but this is where we get into that idea of the songwriter versus the idea-led word producer. This is very idea-led to me. And uh, to me, it kind of reminds me of how we would describe like a TV sitcom. A lot of times you'll see critics say, the best sitcoms are not idea-driven, they're character-driven. And I completely agree with that. And it's kind of the same way I feel about a song. This is so idea concept led that it doesn't connect with me and I'm just not latching on to it. Heard. Perfect time to take that pin off, pin it back in. Cause again, you already know we're going to go back to this, but this is, that's a really awesome way of describing this one because it really is. It's a concept driven song um, where almost held by the hand and been like all right look i'm gonna lay it all out here you know um it's a guy who who's looking to get um abducted by aliens and you know he might even feel when he comes back nobody will believe him yada yada but it, it's there it, it's in front of our face as far as the music for this goes the musicality of of this track i i really enjoy the atmospheric sound that they attained here and i think it has, it screams that underwater slash deep space kind of vibe for me. Um, and I like that because for me, that aids this concept driven song where the music concept matches this full realized concept. And even though I agree with you as far as I don't necessarily attach to this or I don't necessarily I don't necessarily connect with this song as far as something personally. I can fully enjoy it as this concept. All you right. see, you see where I'm coming there. Like I as do. far as, as as the it is what it is, and it's beautiful. It's a painting of flowers, but it's a really beautiful painting of flowers. And far as that concept is is right there in front of our face. If that makes sense, makes sense to me. It might not be for me, but I see right. where you're coming from. Um, but I will say, uh, interesting concept. We kind of continue that idea of this idea-led stuff, I think, with the next song, track four, Exit Music for a Film, which is the parenthetical title. This is very idea-led. It was inspired by Romeo and Juliet, and uh, Tom York commented that he thought the lovers should have run away, to which I asked him, did you see West Side Story? Because they tried and it didn't work out too well for them. <laughs> J just what I'm thinking there. Um, there's a lot of different bleeps and bloops and effects in there that are cool. But overall, this sounds like something you'd hear at a funeral. And I guess that's fitting for a song about Romeo and Juliet. But, oh, it's so depressing to listen to. I just, I can't do it. I can't. It's so morose and there's oh i can't do it i just can't do it that's all i can say and i still hate his voice on it <laughs> I, I i love that the your your opinion on this the way the way it makes you feel is exactly how it makes me feel but we go back to that concept pin and here we are with literally a cliff notes version of Romeo and Juliet. Now, beautifully put cliff notes, in my opinion, uh, written nice, and I can understand where it is, and it almost doesn't slap me in the face and say, hey, this is Romeo and Juliet, um, but <laughs> we, we, we get that concept, and, and it, it does. It makes me feel sad. It makes me feel angry. Um, you know, we get that I really love the Mellotron on this because at first, listen, it almost sounds like a choir behind, but then we still have this contrast of this mechanical slash like uh, technological sound 
uh, with the with the weird breaks in the Mellotron background. The crescendo in this, I love. I really love at the three minute when we hit those drums and that buzzed out bass line. Um, it really brings the tension and the severity of the of the lyrics of where we are in Romeo and Juliet. So again, I, I'm looking at this concept, I'm looking at this painting and I'm really enjoying what it's doing to me. I think I really love on top of that, I'll say it again, is the fact that even though you're not digging the, the listen to it, it still is doing what it's set out as far as the feeling. Uh, where you know where you're like man this is like a funeral song or or I'm, I'm you know this this is a sad morose song that's in my opinion what it was put there to be and especially inside we'll go to the pacing of this album at this point because we're into the fourth track we're in a very sad piece uh we're in a, a slowed down piece of the album you're not kidding about that <laughs> um but yeah like i said earlier I get the concept doesn't mean I like it, yeah. as I said earlier. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And uh, now we are on to track number five, which uh, definitely continues in this slower pace, Let Down. Tom York said this song was about, quote, that feeling that you get when you're in transit, but you're not in control of it. You just go past thousands of places and thousands of people and you're completely removed from it. I feel like that could apply to not just mass trans. I feel like that could apply to just driving down the highway. You're not always in control. There's other people around you, you know? Yeah, I also think that really touches on the way that they were feeling about touring at this point as well, because they were, we, we didn't touch on it before, but they weren't feeling touring coming out of 96. And, uh, you know, you get that, that feeling where you're not in control and you're just going past everything. Yeah. And kind of to go after that, they said they were influenced by Phil Spector's Wall of Sound, which I can definitely hear. Um, To me, I know there's a lot of talk about how unique this album is, but to me, this kind of sounds, that Wall of Sound, I feel like that was very popular and something from like Oasis, you can hear that. This kind of doesn't sound like it stands out that much from a lot of other 90s alt-rock songs. It's kind of just there for me. And um. I know that the attachment's the point, but again, I just find it really morose and it just stays in the same place for me. I like songs to have levels and I, I'm not here for it. This this let me down myself. I am not here for it. I love that you said that it is one note, or I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. What did you say? It just has... It stays in the same, same place. Thank you. Stays in the same place because... For me, Phil Spector wall sound, I'm with that. I can hear that. Um, but for me, one of my first notes was it seems one note throughout the first listen. And we go back to the contrast again on this one, okay? So York also said sentimentality is being emotional for the sake of it. We're bombarded with sentiment, people emoting. That's the letdown feeling that every emotion is fake or rather every emotion is on the same plane whether it's a car advertisement or a pop song and that was really crucial feeling at the time i was growing up i was in high school but it was something that maybe just for me but at that time it was when like advertising sort of became evil uh where it did start to feel like we were just going through the fucking paces how, that see the curse slipped in there because it, it was such a real feeling of, of that time period i love that contrast on this that one note song that doesn't really move being the example of this feeling of like everything's the same you know and there's a lot going on musically as far as it's staying on the same level but 
we don't necessarily notice it because it, it it's it's this beautiful contrast inside. Yeah, it would this one almost I will put it up there as like a period piece for me as far as it really I felt like it really captured how I felt back then. Okay. I might not have realized it back then, but I'm listening to it now, I de- that's definitely how I feel on, on the old letdown. All right. That Amen. that is that is a fair point. Um but I'm I'm gonna say this now. So when I'm looked into this band, it seems a lot of their fans like to kind of go into this thing. It's like to the untrained ear, you might uh, not hear this. And uh, I don't like that. Neither do I. And it seems that this band has a lot of fans like that, and they seem to think that if you don't like it, you just don't get it. And I just want to say, I think that is a horrible attitude and I do not like it. I get it. And uh, that does not mean that I have to agree with it or like it. And uh, if you think that way, fuck you. I'm sorry. That's (laughs) how I feel about that. I don't like that to the untrained ear. Get out of here. There's no place for condescending thought patterns for me as far as any, you're not no. no 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 i'm saying as far i feel the same way when i say as far as for me i see that in all types of fan bases too and it saddens me um i'll i'll, I'll say it you know i see it all the time in the fish community uh you know well you got this sense of exactly what you said you know oh you don't get it you don't understand it you know that that condescending bullshit is is not needed anywhere because art is art art is for everyone regardless so yeah i I don't buy into that shit man that's you know i I feel like that's that's the worst mentality to have going into any kind of art i completely agree with you but well maybe radiohead has an idea of who will come to get them in track number six Karma, please. Uh, This title actually comes from a joke that the band had on their tour for their previous album, The Bends. Johnny Greenwood said, whenever someone was behaving in a particularly shitty way, we'd say, the karma police will catch up with him sooner or later. This song has two parts. It's said that the first part has a chord progression really similar to Sexy Sadie from the Beatles' White Album. Clearly an influence here, I suppose. Um, but then we get an orchestrated section with one line repeated. I like the orchestra part. I don't like the one line over and over again. And I don't like the way he sings it once again. I even, I hate the way even he says the title in this one. Karma Pali. Oh, <laughs> horrible. And um, his voice, it's just, I get maybe it's the point for these vocals to have no passion, but, oh, it makes me want to fall asleep. I mean, when I wasn't taking notes on this album and just had it on, it just, like, felt kind of like elevator music to me. It's elevator music with a lot of shit going on, but jeez. <laughs> heard, heard that. <laughs> I, can, I can definitely, I'm totally on the opposite side of the coin, but I really love this coin because it it's the same throughout it's made of the same the same shit we 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 see on on both sides i i feel like this is one of the ones where you get a little bit more emotion out of him um and a little bit more passion and this is the one that sticks in my head always you know this is the one that i find singing throughout the day whether we're listening to this album this week or not um that orchestrated part uh, we're going to go on the other side of the coin again. I love it. I'm with you on that one. I love the orchestrated part. But for me, the oh, repeated over and over again, like I lost myself, few, I lost myself. Inside of this karma aspect, we'll go back into this concept driven writer. Um, inside of this karma aspect, I think it's a perfect, the orchestra lets me as a listener know that I'm on a different thought. And this is the perfect take a step back, take a deep breath, as I feel like all humans do when they start to lose themselves and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And and to use the joke, you know, step back and be like, whoa, man, I'm getting out of line. I almost lost myself. The karma police could be coming for me or karma as a 
as a whole, as, as something that's going to get everybody uh, to balance out. I also, the feedback delay at the end of this always reminded me of like this monstrous sound catching up with the band or the song period, which added that extra karma-esque aspect for me as well. Um, this is one of, one of my favorite songs that they've ever done. Uh, I enjoyed Karma Police on, on a level that is, again, the flip side to this coin. It's, it's, it reminds me, and I, t I really try to take myself out of the nostalgia of listening to this album over and over again this week, but it, it really is another one that encapsulates the tone of, of where life was back then. Very fair. Well, the Karma Police will be good to you. I personally am more of a fan of the Dream Police, but... <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> great song, by the way, but we're not talking about Cheap Trick. We're still talking about this band. And the seventh track on this album, Fitter Happier. This is the shortest track on the album, not even two minutes. Um, it has a computer voice, saying these common slogans of the time and it almost sounds like a to-do list um if any song here i think sums up what the band is going for i think it's this one and i think it's the one time it's the most effective i i, I really do think that the use of the voice here is genius and the fact that it is so monotonous it just sums up like you're just going and going and going in this pattern and it's like when does it end it's so much but eventually it all just kind of feels the same and uh, I do really like what they did here I think this was really unique and just again summed up the concept of this if there is one yeah you, you're you're right on the nail on this one i i was reading and found out that they actually thought to use this as the opener for the album which i really think in hindsight would have set a tone but they had said that the effect was unsettling and it was ended up not being their choice for the start of the album uh, going and diving into this this was always a skip over track for me it was almost like i mean it is a spoken word piece and it was something that I didn't really have any time for back listening to it. But now knowing what it is and seeing that like, or knowing that he wrote it in 10 minutes and it was just like slogans of the bull crap that was being fed uh, by the media and, and our mindset at, at that point in time. Um, he's got a quote where he says, it's the most upsetting thing I've ever written. And it was liberating to give the words to a neutral sounding computer voice. I really respect that as an artist, uh, being able to take that and find a way to perfectly, like you said, it really genius way to uh, to get that point across. I, this was it, it's a neat one in hindsight. Again, back in the day, I never listened to this. Um, I so there's like I was reading, I think it was the wiki that said that it's an actual kind of music called a um, music concrete or concrete music where it's only sampled music and spoken word um so it's almost it's very hard to call it a song um but it's a really unique take i completely agree i think of it as more of an interlude yeah. than the song and it's on the seven piece and not like oh look it's on the seven piece but it's right here we we'll go into pacing for a second it's right here coming out of karma police and it almost i won't say palate cleanser because it, it's it's jarring a little bit but it, it is it's a cool interlude that's a great way to put it yeah though i will say not the most upsetting thing he's ever written there's another song coming up that i think takes that title for most upsetting on this album but we will get there we're not there with this song track a electioneering uh Definitely the most upbeat song here. This is much more of a straight-ahead rocker. It was inspired by a book called Manufacturing Consent that analyzed media under the propaganda model. It was also inspired by the poll tax riots in 1990. So this is very much influenced by British politics in particular. Um, I like that it's an upbeat song on the album. I always like a good straight-ahead rocker, but... 
Something here, it just feels a bit heavy handed. The social commentary just doesn't quite add up for me. I really don't know what else to say about it beyond that. But yeah, it the straight head rock and roll of it with the cowbell and the distorted guitar really. And, and now knowing that, you know, it was inspired by poll tax riots and, 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 and different writings on the propaganda, it screams British punk. Uh, to me. And I, I like that. And I think that for me, that's where the heavy handedness comes. Um, it immediately invokes like pictures, images of of the the British riots or um, it almost reminds me uh, imagery wise. It, it, it makes me think of like the old uh, Irish wars and it just is all of that even sometimes like a British hooligan sense, uh, like a soccer hooligan sense inside of this. But you're right, the, the commentary is right there in front of your face. And I think it would speak more to someone who had been there inside of it. But I, I, I definitely enjoy how it encapsulates that feeling with this rock and roll. It, it, we're right upbeat. And we're coming outside, we're coming right out of, you know, a, a computer talking to us in a monotone voice for the last two and a half minutes. So it, it hits a little bit more and I, I like the pacing of it here as well. Very fair. Our pacing does change a little bit with our next song here, Climbing Up the Walls. This one's a, a pretty interesting experience. Tom York said, quote, this is about the unspeakable, literally skull crushing. I used to work in a mental hospital around the time that care in the community started and we all just knew what was going to happen. And it's one of the scariest things to happen in this country because a lot of them weren't just harmless. It was hailing violently when we recorded this. It seemed to add to the mood. And uh, I can see where he's coming from. There's definitely a lot going on here in the background. There's ambient music. There are strings. Um, Obviously, it's the point, but I think this is way too cluttered of a listen for me. And uh, Tom York's falsetto is horrible. Uh, <laughs> you, you really love his voice. <laughs> oh, best vocalist of all time. Nothing but good things to say about it. And we, we haven't even gotten to his best vocal performance on the album. It, it's not this one as much as I love it, if you can't tell. Oh, uh, yeah, and also ambient music does not belong on a rock album, in my opinion. Maybe there's something out there that'll change my mind, but this isn't it. Yeah, here we go. Same coin, different sides. <laughs> um, and, and I, I'm really digging this, actually. But the same coin in the fact of my first note for this is chaos with an exclamation point. Um, and we go into this concept of... Uh, care in the community and the deinstitutionalizing of these mental patients into home care, but more so of the, for me, the mind of, of someone that is suffering from a mental illness. And that's where this chaos comes from uh, inside of this. Um, I really like, and I, I said this earlier in the podcast, but I really like the fact that you don't lose the Radiohead sound or even the sound that's been established on the album so far in here, even throughout this chaos. I mean, there was a, a 16 instrument composition written for this, uh, for, for this and used in, inside of this, inside of this chaos. It is controlled chaos. It almost gives me like a sort of like helter skelter vibe as far as like almost a little bit too much for my brain to to pull together in points um but i love how it still stays radiohead in here all right well guess you climb up that wall then yeah. you you I, do that climbing those climbing those padded walls that yeah. that whole that whole mental uh illness uh, to think about what he was writing about now is so wild it's it, I had a fun time going through this. I know I keep saying it, but like there was really a lot to to read, especially from their standpoint. So it was just really wild to take a little peek into in their brains, yours Very, especially. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, we kind of continue that mental illness theme with the next song, track number 10, 
no surprises. Um, the song was recorded in one take, actually, which I can believe and I can't believe because they should have started the fuck over. But anyway, <laughs> um, the idea of this, they kind of were really going back to the 60s for their influences, stuff like Louis Armstrong, Marvin Gaye, and Pet Sounds. Uh, I could hear the influence here on it, but... Uh, Quality-wise, not even closer as pleasant to listen to. I hate this arrangement. I just find it really cloying. And uh, they, of course, want to, again, have that juxtaposition. Yeah. And this one, the lyrics are about somebody committing suicide. And, um, okay, this is maybe a me problem. Maybe I just don't get the art, but I don't think this is an appropriate juxtaposition to make. Um, admittedly, suicide's kind of something that just really, really disturbs me. Like, I once actually read a fictional suspense book about a woman who tried to act as if she was helping people, but really she was trying to get them to kill themselves. And I had to stop reading it because I was so disturbed by the content. I'm very touchy about this. Maybe that's a me thing, but... I just, I don't agree with this, frankly. I think it's a little insensitive. And I know they're trying to make a point, but I know he said it's a fucked up nursery rhyme, but I know, I feel like if you're going to sing a song about suicide in my book, you kind of have to stick with the fire and rain route. You gotta show that it's stark and not pleasant. It's not something that I think, I mean, Brian Wilson had all kinds of mental health issues. He was schizophrenic, likely, and uh, I don't think he ever would have done something like this. Uh, like, lyrically, with this kind of soundscape, I just, I don't want to say offensive, but it is a little bit to me. I just, I really did not like this song, and... Uh, very much a contender for my least favorite on the album. I am not a fan of this at all. I have to say that your honesty inside of how you feel about this song, one, thank you so much for it, but two, it really, in my opinion, shows the power of this art and what they've done here. Rev, even if it was to produce that feeling through this contrast of a very lullaby uh, nursery rhyme feel um, as far as the soundscape goes and the tempo and just just really the full composition of the song whether or not that was was to make you feel that it made you feel period which is is in my in my book a win as far as art goes uh this one is definitely a this is for me one of the biggest examples of this juxtaposition or this contrast inside of this album because it's 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 haunting it, it really is haunting whether or not it's suicide or i know i think it was york or one of them was quoted saying ah, i'm gonna paraphrase it but it was uh that it was an example of someone trying to hold it together but they couldn't you feel it you you feel it you feel this wanting to be happy through the composition and you can also feel pulling the opposite way through the lyrics and i think that as again we go into this concept not a concept album but the concept for this song and i'll use the the painting on the wall thing it, it definitely made us feel and i think that's a win here um it's not my favorite album uh, it's not my favorite song on the album musically it's 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 cool um but i feel like it it, it made us feel and that is definitely a win for any piece of art all right, then. And, and you know, and you say it's a you thing there. It's, it's not. It's just a natural feeling. It's, it's what you felt. And again, we go back to that's what art is. You know, the we we talked about how people said you don't get it. It's not to get. And it, it, that's why our conversations, at least for me, are so awesome and so fun and so rewarding. Is because you get to see. For a minute, we get to see through each other's eyes, but that's 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 what art is. So don't 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 say it's a you thing. It's it you just feel, and that and that's a fucking good thing. Oh well, yeah, I felt pretty strongly about that one. Uh, sure. But unfortunately, uh, 
pretty difficult to get worse than that, in my opinion. And the next song is not as dire. It's called Lucky. Um, the lyrics were inspired by the Bosnian War and depict a man surviving a plane crash. So a bit more hopeful. This was actually recorded during the sessions for the previous album, The Benz. Um, I uh, didn't make me want to check out The Benz, I'll tell you that. To me, this is just another song that has a bunch of noise and drones on and on. I'll take it over with the previous song, but I didn't feel real lucky listening to it either. Yeah, no, it, even in the title on this one, it is that contrast. I, I really love the eeriness of this song from front to back. It's a, I don't know how much, knowing the Bosnian connection, uh, as far as the inspiration, I don't know how much of that comes through. But if I take this as just the man surviving an airplane uh, crash, the eeriness and almost, this is going to sound crazy, but the eeriness and almost silent or silence of the chaos around it, I love. And I, I think that it came through perfect. This one really has a Floyd-esque take on it to me. It really has a lot of Floyd qualities in this and in its narrative. It's just, it's it's weird, man. It's it's haunting. You got that haunting guitar behind the refrain. It's uh it's a wild, it's a wild piece. It's it is a wild piece. That that is uh one thing to say about it, that is for sure. Uh, but speaking of wild pieces, I think the album ends with one for better or for worse. The Tourist. It was inspired particularly by tourists in France going too fast to see the tourist attractions. Interesting concept. Can't think of another song that's done that. Unfortunately, this is my least favorite song on the album, and that is saying something. I uh, hate this. Oh my goodness. Um, It just, I know the point is they want you to slow down, but Tom York should not ever hold out notes. <laughs> it's very unpleasant. Like, all this, hey man, slow down. I was like, oh, stop. If I have to hear him say it one more time, I'm going to lose it. I'm getting teary-eyed thinking about it because it's just so painful for me to listen to. I hate it so much. Oh, it's so unpleasant. And every time I listened to it, I was just so happy when it was over. This is possibly, this is definitely the worst album closer that we've covered on this show in my book. I really, really hate this, if you can't tell. Oh my, oh my goodness. <laughs> Here we go. Same coin, different side. Uh, uh, yes, you're right. You're right. Uh, for me, this song slows it down. Even reading him talking about like what it was inspired by, he, he also goes on to be like, I had to tell myself to slow down. It is almost unfitting to the album it fits for me because this chaos the noise that we've been hit with sonically throughout this album is gone and the chaos is gone and the album is over and we're slowing down uh i i enjoy the waltzy sort of dance around the happiness uh that's found in slowing down in this song and i really love that it culminates perfectly with that single chime of the bell almost like an egg timer to signal to us as the listener that it's over i mean for you that was uh, <laughs> you were done listening to it but i really like how just such a simple unique sound can signal to the casual listener or the subconscious listener the end uh, so I, I dig that about this piece. Again, we talk about that concept of the song. It hits perfectly for the concept of the song, for what it is. And I don't know if it's the worst closer we've ever <laughs> i got to go back, but I, I think it's a, a really fitting ending for this album. Well, they ended on a low note, if you ask me. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, and... Uh... There we have it. Okay, computer, we definitely are two sides of the same coin on this one. That is for sure. You put it best there. What is your grade for the album? For me, um, for me, this is going to get a B plus. Uh, even to this day, when I listen to the album, 
It feels relevant and, and it feels groundbreaking at a time where I know that they could have kept doing rock pop stuff. Um, the stuff that had made them famous and worked for them. I always loved that they chose to really bear it all and give us something outside of the box. And in my opinion, doing it without losing themselves inside of it. Um, they, for, I, I go back, but they really, for me, sonically changed the atmosphere of the music for that time period with this album. And even though it was unapproachable, I feel like ultimately in time, it's loved by most. Uh, it's an epic journey through sound and through the minds of the band. And I really think that shined in this beautifully abstract contradiction of music and society. All righty. Uh, you, you were right in saying that most like it, not all, because <laughs> I don't. Um, oh boy. I'm going to, uh, this is me personally, in my book, this album is a D. Uh, I will give it credit. There were some nice things I had to say, particularly more towards the beginning of the album. There were some cool ideas, but nothing fully clicked for me enough there to overcome the shortcomings, especially in the latter half of the album, because the stuff I didn't like in a couple cases, I really, 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 really didn't like it at all. And it there was nothing here enough to boost that for me. The lows are more significant than the highs for me on this one. There you go. There you go. This is the most polarizing album for us in our history. Oh, and yeah. I, I really, I really enjoy that. I, I it's very rare that we are so far on or just on the opposite side of the coin. But I really do feel that there was that same coin throughout this. So uh, a unique listen for us at the at the very least. Oh, that's saying something. And I did try. I listened to it five times and I, I still hated it. Hell yeah. No, I feel you. I, I love that. That's the honesty that, you know, we talked about it a lot throughout this, but that's art and that's why we do it. If you look, I guess this is the first time ever we've used this phrase gun to the head favorite track on the album for you <laughs> um they're happier yeah no yeah. shit wow that's that's cool that's cool that's that's i wasn't expecting that paranoid android is my shit it always has been it always will be i love that At i least love the you way you didn't say the tourist was your favorite <laughs> no, no paranoid android i love the way it's composed um there's and something with that always sticks with me from the, from that song it, it definitely is one that will always be up there for me. So yeah, Paranoid Android, favorite track on this one. All righty then. There we have it for all the Paranoid Androids out there. Heard that. So that gives us up to, uh, up to the mercy of our masses. What I don't know yet. What is uh, our next album? What, 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 what got picked? Yes, so we have a poll of four Grammy-winning albums from 1997, variety of genres and artists covered. We had releases from Bob Dylan, Erica Badu, Puff Daddy, and James Taylor. And 50% uh, of our voters went with uh, No Way Out by Puff Daddy and the Family. <laughs> Charlie, I can't stress how beautifully all over the year of your birth we have gone <laughs> and we'll go with this album we you you are oh, yeah if we were to judge you by the the albums we picked you are a very eclectic you you had a very eclectic birth year <laughs> uh, that i did uh, that i did we have gone all over the place and this is uh, the complete opposite of it but there's definitely some tea to be said with anything involving Diddy, Where we got, yeah. Holmes, whatever you want to call him. I don't know what he's called now. I guess I'll find out. But we're gonna find out. There's many, there's many different ways we can call this man. Oh, this is good. This is gonna be cool. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh so that this is what the people wanted. So we hope we deliver. But in the meantime, for updates on that, get on your okay computers and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at turntables and tea podcasts. Also subscribe wherever you're listening to us, 
leave us a nice review and rating. That would be really appreciated. And until then, I'll be missing you, Corey. <laughs> Peace.